Good evening. Good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Joe mentioned in his prayer, uh, Braxton and I, I noticed a, a post not too long ago, uh, well, five hours ago, and this is from his mother, said that uh, there is an emergency procedure that uh, was done today. Uh, a drain is being put into his brain to relieve pressure. If this goes well, then sometime next week a shunt will be put in for a more permanent solution to keep the pressure at bay. Uh, but do keep him in your prayers. Uh, I don't know if you'd seen that, Joe, but I figured I would mention that uh, tonight before we get into our sermon. Um, our lesson for tonight is the 14th lesson in our one-word study, and tonight's lesson is on the word holiness. As we look at the word holiness, it's, it's similar in some ways to righteousness. There are some similar characteristics between the two. But what is the meaning of holiness? Many define holiness as being set apart. And scripture supports this definition. Uh, we go back to creation, even. And in Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. And this one I'm going to read from the uh, English Standard Version. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. When we got to uh, this part in our, well, it was the very first of the devotionals, I believe, and uh, I went to SportsCom and I asked several people, uh, what was the first thing to be declared holy? And it was the seventh day. It was different. It was set apart from all the other days of creation. And so the seventh day was declared holy by God. We also see this idea of being set apart in Exodus chapter 40 verses 9 and 10 in regard to the tabernacle. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and you shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And we see in regard to the tabernacle and the furnishings that they were to be holy. They were to be set apart for God's service. Different than anything else. They were to be uh, cleansed in, in some way. They were to be holy. But being simply set apart may not be exactly what God is looking for in holiness. There's something else that goes along with holiness. Uh, for instance, if Christians were to truly set themselves apart from the world, we would be working contrary to Jesus' command that we be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, as we find in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I know that in time past I've had the opportunity to go to camp a few times. We uh, went, the Science Hill congregation worked with the Laverne congregation 
And so there were a few times where we, we just got away for a weekend. Uh, we would go to Short Mountain or maybe somewhere else, but we would get away for uh, a little while from the world. And those are wonderful weekends. I'm sure that, that many of you share different memories like that as well. But in reality, we always had to come back into being a part of the world. You know, it's so easy to be with God's people and so easy to, to be of a, a godly mindset when we're away and apart from the world. But we have to remember that, that we can't just be hermits. We can't just set ourselves away from the world and be faithful to what God wants us to be. We have to be in the world but we are not to be of the world. There is a difference. We must remain holy ourselves while living in the ungodliness around us. Another word that is used to describe holiness is distinctiveness. As Christians, we are to be distinctive from the world. We are sanctified by God in order to declare His grace. We are not made holy because of anything that we have done, but more so because of what God did for us by sending His Son to die for us. We are distinctly different than the world around us in, in what we say and what we do. And even as the church, we are distinctive from all the other churches that have been created in the world. The Church of Christ is distinctive. And if we ever lose our distinctiveness, I think that would be our downfall. We are to be distinctive. We are distinctive in the way that we worship. And in the things that, that we do in regard to worship. And even in the way that we live as Christians, we are to be distinctive. When we want to be like the world as the church or as individual Christians, either way, we are no longer holy, set apart, or distinct. And I think of, of God's people and something that I've been going through on our radio program. I've been talking about the history of the nation of Israel and, and you look at, at how Israel acted. And one of the things that, that I just visited in one of our lessons was that Israel wanted to have a king. And why did they want to have a king? Because they wanted to be like the world. And when they had their king, they lost some of their distinctiveness. Now God had specifically told them to remain faithful to Him, even in having their king. But because they were so into being like the world, they lost their distinctiveness. They lost some version of their holiness some degree. And as we look at the church, the church is also to keep itself holy in the midst of an unholy world. Uh, there are so many pressures around us and so many temptations that we face as the church. But it is important that we keep ourselves holy, set apart, distinctive for God's service. As we look at holiness, we get into 
holy living. We are to live lives of holiness. And, and what does that mean? The Israelites, in, in the way that they lived and served God, were, were holy in the eyes of the other nations. They were set apart. They were distinct. Mostly because they were different than the other nations. And, and you'll notice as you go throughout the Old Testament that there are many nations that are afraid of Israel because they're afraid of their God. They know that there's something different about the God that the Israelites serve and the many gods that they themselves serve. But Israel was to keep themselves holy and set apart. The Levitical law that they followed served two purposes, as we read in Leviticus chapters 17 through 26. And I'm not going to take the time to go through all of that. But many of the laws that told the people what they should abstain from. However, there were also several laws that encouraged the people to do good and pursue holiness. So you have on the, the, from a negative standpoint what they should not do, but they were also given some things that they should do. That's according to Leviticus chapter 19. That's a good one to look at. According to Old Testament law, one who touched anyone or anything unclean also became unclean or unholy. Notice what is said in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And if any animal which you may eat dies, he who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. He who eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. He also who carries its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Now in the New Testament, we see those who are holy having a positive impact on the unholiness around them, which is interesting. Because we see in the Old Testament, as you look at the law of the Old Testament, you touch something unclean, you're unclean. But then Jesus comes along. And Jesus is able to heal and to cleanse those unholy by reason of disease or otherwise. He's able to touch them without becoming unholy himself. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Matthew 15, verses 30 through 31. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus in his coming brought light to the darkness. 
purity to the unclean and love and compassion to those in need of it. And even as Christians, there's an element of this in our own lives. We're told to do similar to what Jesus did. We are to love the world around us. To show them the gospel. Not only teaching them by word, but also in our example. And we are not to allow ourselves to be stopped by fear of becoming unholy or unclean. We have a duty on this earth. And it is up to us as Christians to fulfill that duty. Uh, there may be certain relationships that must be sacrificed in order that we may not be influenced by evil. But overall, our holiness in the world is meant to be an example that transforms the world. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And putting on holiness, we ourselves are to be transformed by the Word of God. And as we are transformed, we go into the world. We transform the world. Christians are called to live lives of holiness, to be a holy people, set apart for God's service and living distinctly different lives than the world around us. We, we are chosen for this purpose, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. A peculiar people. I like that word peculiar from the King James Version. Peculiar is not always a bad thing. And to be peculiar, we are to be a peculiar people, a special people in regard to God. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We are constantly to walk in the light. The light of God. 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. As long as we strive... For holiness, keeping the commands of God and doing His will. His blood cleanses us from our sin. We are to live holy before God in mind, in spirit, and in conduct. We read of our call to holiness in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verses 13 through 21. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. God is holy. And if we are to be in the presence of God, in our lives here, we have the ability to be in God's presence. We are able to pray to God. We are able to uh, do many things in, in His name. And in our reward in eternity, we look forward to being in eternity with God, in the presence of God. But to do so, we must be holy. We must be set apart. We must be distinctive in the way that we live our lives on earth. So how do we remain holy in an unholy world? I'm going to give you three main points here that will help us to remain holy. Now, going back to the previous passage that we looked at in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, there's a word at the beginning of that that says, Therefore, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Kirk, you may remember this from yesterday. I believe it was Brother Hires that said it. I may be wrong about the speaker. Uh, it may have been Brother Dearman. Uh, but anyway, there's a, a, that word that he brought out, therefore. And he said, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to go back and find out what, what it is there for. So, we need to take this word therefore and go back and find out what it's there for. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Our first point here is that we should remain focused on the reward at hand. We need to be focused on what is ahead of us. Our, our future and eternity in order to remain holy. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you, love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering. The things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to look to heaven. We are to look to the glories of our reward. And as long as we keep our eyes on the prize, if you will, it will help us to remain holy in an unholy world. We have awaiting us, as it is referred to in verse 4, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God. We are kept holy by the power of God. <coughs> but it is within our will that we are to remain holy. Our faithful forefathers did the same. They looked to a reward. <coughs> Hebrews 11 and verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It doesn't matter if you have a house on the earth. It doesn't matter if you have property. It doesn't matter what you own on this earth. We're strangers here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Verse 14, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
but now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. I'm reminded of what Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so we have a reward that is awaiting us. And there's so much in that idea of it being a prepared city. It's not just something that is or always has been. It's being prepared for our arrival. Think of going to visit somewhere and maybe you go to a hotel or, or maybe you stay with a friend or a family member but they prepare a place for you. I, I know whenever we would go visit my grandparents in North Carolina, they would prepare a place for us. I, I remember there were always fresh sheets on the bed and, and things of that nature, you know, they would, or at least my grandmother would take really good care of us in that regard. But heaven is a prepared place for us. Focusing on our reward will help us to remain positive. Uh, remember the murmuring and the complaining of the Israelites. It cost them an entire generation of enjoyment of the promised land, as we read in Numbers 14, verses 28 through 35. Focusing on the reward will help us avoid falling back into our former lusts and desires. Uh, go back to 1 Peter 1 and verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts. As in your ignorant. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. We are tempted daily. Uh, the things that we desire, they tempt us daily to turn away from God and we are to abstain from them. We are to keep ourselves holy. And if we keep our eyes on the prize, it will help us to do so. Number two, we should remember that we will one day be judged. There's not a one of us that will avoid judgment. 1 Peter 1.17 said, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Romans 14 verses 10 through 12, Why, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. I remember a few years ago in a class that David West was preaching or speaking in, he mentioned a song that came out years ago and it's now been made into a movie, I Can Only Imagine. 
And we want to imagine what it would be like to face God. But he said, you know, I can tell you. I know exactly what we'll be doing when we face God. The Bible tells us very plainly. Every knee shall bow before Him. When we see God, we'll all bow before Him. Even those who have not believed or those who have refused to believe, every knee, every knee shall bow before God. And every tongue shall confess His name. Confess Him to be God. The God that He's already proven to us that He is. We find out from 1 Peter 1.17 that God is an impartial judge. And that God will judge each individual based on his or her deeds on earth. And since we will all face judgment, we should live our lives constantly in reverential fear of Almighty God. Number three, our focus should constantly be on the love of God for mankind. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Though we were once dead in our sins, God has redeemed us through the blood of His Son. Going back to verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter 1. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. God didn't have to give His Son. He had to if we were to be cleansed from our impurities. If we were to be holy, God had to give His Son. But at the same time, it was His choice. God so loved the world that He gave us this wonderful, precious gift, the blood of Christ. The perfect sacrifice to cleanse us from our sins. We should be grateful for this gift. Paul is an excellent example of gratitude toward God. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Of all people, Paul was... Uh, probably one of the, the best examples of gratitude because he had done so much against the church. 
And yet he was able to be forgiven. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. From a personal standpoint, we have seen the love of God for mankind firsthand. Romans 5 verses 6 through 9 For when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by His blood we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Having experienced this love, we should be all the more willing to share His love with the world. Acts 13, verses 22 and 23. And when He had removed Saul, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also He gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will from this man's seed according to the promise. God raised up for Israel a Savior Jesus, And we should spread that message with the world. Knowing God's love for us. Knowing that He sent His Son for us as a Savior. That's the message that we need to be preaching to those around us. God's will for His creation is that we remain holy even in the wickedness of the world around us. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do you realize God chose you? He could have made another choice. He could have chosen to keep His Son in heaven with Him. But God chose us because He loves us. Because He cares for us. He knows each of us as individuals. We Talked about that recently too. But God chose us. Chose us so that we should be holy and without blame before Him. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. We are chosen by God to be holy set apart from the world, distinctive and peculiar. God has chosen us to be His people. And we show the world who we belong to by how we live.
God is holy. And so we must be holy to be in His presence. We cannot accomplish holiness on our own, but only through the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Jesus stands as a bridge between us and God, but to be holy, we must come in contact with His blood. How do we do that? How can we be made holy? How do we come in contact with the blood of Christ? By obedience to the gospel. By faith, obeying and repentance, changing our lives. In confessing our faith in Christ. And in baptism for the remission of sins. It's then that we come in contact with the blood of of Christ. To remain in His holiness, we must continue to live lives of faithfulness to God. We understand from Scripture that some did fall away. Demas was one of those in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. It's up to us if we have been made holy to remain holy before God. That doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes from time to time. We do. Every day. I realize something that I've done that, that maybe I shouldn't. Or maybe I've left undone something that I should have done. But even so, as long as we are faithful to God, He continues to cleanse us by the blood of Christ. But if we are to forsake Him, and that blood no longer cleanses us, and we are no longer holy, we must be holy to be in the presence of God, and especially if we're going to be in His presence in eternity, we must be holy. We must live lives of holiness even amidst the unholiness that surrounds us. Are you a faithful child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Do you need to respond to the Lord's invitation? If you do, if there's some way that we can help you, we love you, we care for you, we'd be glad to do that. Anything that we can to help you in your need to be in Christ. If you need to come, we ask that you do so. Let's